Sports Plus show with Baker, Big D, and Joe. And today, today we're somewhat rescued in that we have an actual intelligent guest. So it may it may raise the uh, discourse level today instead of just a simple normal shouting back and forth that you know is is sports talk radio. Um, so let me introduce Matt first. Uh, good good uh, morning. Good afternoon. What is it? Good. Morning. And in case I don't see you, have a good night. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> How's everyone doing today? Fine. Is it 20-something degrees in... in um... It's been cold. Yeah, yeah. it's been cold. We're, yeah. I'm, we're here in Western Mass, and uh, it, it's chilly. Um, but it's actually supposed to be a pretty nice day. I'm, we're hoping, my family, we're hoping to get outside today and start some of the spring cleanup yard work. So right. And it's uh, sunny, sunny blue skies. Um, mm -hmm. Joe, so uh, where are you now? You're still out there on the left coast? Still, and we will we can get into this later. But if you if we're going to go by the results of the NCAA tournaments, once again, the West Coast is proving its superiority. We're going to have three out of four. And actually, our guest, Emily, is from Texas, who's going to represent who's going to fill that fourth spot because Baylor and Houston are playing each other tomorrow. <laughs> but I, my big news is that I got my first shot yesterday nice. after nice. after months of kind of wondering if it was ever going to happen. I was able to, to make the appointment on Monday and got, got my first Pfizer shot yesterday. Haven't grown the second head yet. So all, <laughs> all looks good. Arms a little sore, but no, no side effects. No side that. effects after the first shot, Joe. Nope. Just a little, like I said, just a little arm soreness, a little bit of um, hopefulness and optimism. Oh my side God. Effects, my, but... Same, same feeling. I had just joy after my first one, just joy. Um, and and I, I, I we're we're so lucky to have have our guest with us today. She's been a, a national champion at Baylor. I was part of the 2005 national championship team. She's won championships as a high school player, a conference champions as a high school coach at Springfield Renaissance School, and is now the the head coach at Bay Path University. Although we'll hear that that didn't necessarily mean a whole lot for about the last year. Uh, but Emily Neiman, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Our first, our, I believe our first NCAA champion of any kind, unless Margo's been hiding secrets from us. Nice. Uh, can, can we ask you a question? Who was your coach? Coach Monkey. <laughs> oh, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I should keep my, my opinions to myself. <laughs> no, let's, let's, let's start, let's start there and get this out of our systems. Because Are we going to dive right in? Yeah. yeah because but I don't want, I don't want to alienate our guest, and she obviously oh. cannot say anything um, that isn't positive about her former coach. So Emily, you want to, you want to take that? <laughs> you want to start there? I will. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess, when when people ask me was coach monkey there when i was there for me i think back to sort of the history behind that so um i graduated high school in 2003 um just a few years before that baylor was literally like nobody knew who they were um i believe coach monkey arrived there in 01 if somebody wants to fact check me on that real quick um but she only got there a few years before i graduated high school so um, you know, I, I was a talented high school player <clears throat> moving through the recruiting process, and I was looking at Big 12 schools because I wanted to play good teams who were relatively local to my family. So um, I was actually really leaning towards Colorado um, as a young high school student. But then Coach Monkey took the position there, and 
within a few years, they got their first NIT bid. And then after that, they, they went deep in the NIT and then they got their first trip to the NCAAs. Um, so that was Sheila Lambert, uh, Daniel Cockrum, um, both of whom are all Americans. And then all of a sudden Coach Mulkey and those two stars put Baylor on the map. Um, I was one of the top recruits in the country, definitely top two or three recruits in the state of Texas my senior year. And when I signed with Baylor, the average person would ask me, is that a division one school? And I would be like, what? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and you know, for the level that I was competing at, I almost, I like took offense at that. Right. Um, but that's really where Baylor was before coach Mulkey got there. Um, so, and, and you can also look too at the wider athletic department before coach Mulkey got there. Um, the tennis team had done well, uh, but you know, Baylor football was kind of a joke. Uh, we would go to games and literally like spread out in the stands and like sit and chit chat because no one was there. And the game was usually, uh, you know, blowout, not in our favor. Um, so Baylor athletics, what it is today and what it was for me growing up as a, a young person who loved athletics in Texas, um, are drastically, drastically different things. So, you know, coach Mulkey is what made Baylor basketball on the map. And there's nobody who, um, played for Baylor and did, uh, had like big accomplishments who wasn't a part of her program. And she really did the, the women's program there, like you said, really did elevate the rest of the athletic department to where now they're, you know, both both basketball teams made the final four and the football teams, you know, been successful for years. Our our problem with Coach Mulkey, our immediate problem are, are the idiotic comments she made about COVID testing. And, you know, and again, she's a particularly intense person even among high school even among basketball coaches who can be notoriously intense and if you watch any of their games you see her scream for 48 minutes it's right. or 40 minutes it's it's really kind of you can actually hear it with the arenas being so empty you can hear her yell and i'm used to hearing that from being you know 60 feet away from her on the baseline but you, when you hear it on television, it's pretty jarring and definitely a huge contrast to Vanderveer, who never gets off the bench, and Gino Oriyama, who's one of the most stoic mm -hmm. coaches. Doesn't matter high or low, he's he's on his even keel. So it's it's yeah. been entertaining, but the, the, these comments were very problematic. And yeah. it, whether it was her just trying to put make a stamp you know, put her stamp on this tournament, or I hope the, that's not how she genuinely feels, but. Yeah. I mean, I'll say one thing on a sort of a funny level for me with nobody in the stands, when I hear her yell, I sort of like snap, like, whoa, like, <laughs> <laughs> like pay attention. Cause it's a voice that I'm, um, you know, have burned into my head. But, wait a minute, um, but is it like, um, the way uh, an abused child, um, you know, is really recognizes his parent, the abuser's voice, and and reacts uh, viscerally to it. I, I hope yeah. that's not the situation. <laughs> yeah. Well. So to be just honest and vulnerable, um, I I feel so mixed, and all the mixed parts of my emotions are very real and like feel very true. So Coach Monkey provided me an opportunity, um, to do what I did best as an athlete. And I'm 16 years away from it. So like the nuances of my game and all of those things are 
fairly irrelevant, but um, she saw things in me that other people didn't see. And if I didn't have a coach who saw that in me, I wouldn't have been able to be a part of a national championship, average double figures, be one of the best three-point shooters in the country during my time, on and on and on. Um, So she brought a lot of incredible things out of me Um, that also came side by side with stuff that for me was really unhealthy. Um, So when you say like the visceral reaction, it's all of those things. Part of it is like, oh, I want that feeling back of of being on the floor, being around a team of people and doing something that that feels um, so encompassing and is so heart-driven and something that you're passionate about. Because I was, I loved playing the game of basketball. But on the other hand, it was, it was terrifying. It was unhealthy. And I did not do a good job of taking care of myself when I was in that environment. So I feel really torn watching all these games. I, I actually, it's kind of like an emotional roller coaster for me. I mean, last night when, um, South Carolina lost, um, and, uh, you see Aaliyah Boston just sob immediately. I started crying because I was like right there with her and I could like feel all of that. Um, when I watched Baylor play and I see, you know, Dee Dee Richards goes out and um, they bring in the point guard who hasn't gotten much time. I'm like, oh, I hope you do good, girl, because <laughs> if you don't, like, it's going to feel extra worse, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I watch with all of that level of, of emotion and connectedness to the experiences of the players on the floor. And, and I think a lot of that is because the way my story ended was really, um, it was not the way I wanted. There was no, like, there's nothing about it that's settled in me. And I'm now a 35 year old mom slash foster mom, own my own business. I got a lot of stuff going on, but this still, this experience, I don't think I've really ever found how to, how to feel about it because I feel so many things. Do you, do you want to tell these guys, cause you and I have talked about this for, for hours and hours and hours, but mm-hmm. talk, tell these guys and, and the audience too, obviously about, about the circumstances of you leaving Baylor yeah. after two years. Okay. Yeah. So we'll go back to, you know, I graduated high school, 2003, um, had grew up in Houston, Texas. I went to a very conservative Christian high school. The reason I went to that school is not because my family was super faith oriented, but rather they had a really good basketball team and they gave me a scholarship. So, um, I came there for those reasons that said, um, a big part of my personality has always been to be very, um, very thoughtful, um, to be very aware of my own emotional position. And then also the ways that I'm interacting with other people. So as I was exposed to Christianity, there was a lot of things that connected with those parts of me. of like, Oh, I want to live thoughtfully. I want to live purposefully. And, um, and so for me, Christianity became a part of my life through basketball and through school. Um, so I graduated in 2003, super attached to my identity as a Christian, but also at the very, like at the same time, my sexuality was emerging and it was conflicting, right? Um, the plate, the space that I was in, the school that I was in was super homophobic. Um, there was a young man in my time frame who was gay and open about it, which was like wild. Um, but he actually got kicked out of our school. Um, there's just so many little moments of um, negative experiences that tainted my sense of who I was. And I, so I decided, okay, I'm going to be really Christian and be, everyone's going to think I'm a really good person because of that. I'm going to be really good at basketball and they're going to like me because I'm good at basketball. And I will just suffocate this other like part of myself because it doesn't seem like it's okay. So that's the like 
19 year old version of me that showed up to Waco in the summer of June of 2003, like literally the morning after I graduated, I was boom gone. Um, all I wanted to do was play ball. I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted nothing else to exist, honestly. And coach Mulkey gave me a way to do that because she's that intense. So while there's so many parts of us that did not like there was friction, there's also parts of, of her style that really worked for me and fed that, like, this will be your life mentality. Cause I wanted that. Um, so as my career continued at Baylor, I was pretty successful. Um, both my freshman and sophomore years, they're pretty mirrored, pretty much mirrored one another. Um, I was playing a three, there was two all American post players at the time. I had been a post player in high school, but, um, like many women had to transition to the perimeter now that I was at the next level, partly because of our personnel and also partly because I was just a really good shooter. Um, and we did not have that piece. So, um, my freshman, sophomore year, um, I started a handful of games, but I was really like the sixth man, first person off the bench. And then I would play like anywhere from 25 to 30 minutes a game. So I was getting a lot of time. Um, and, and big part of the offense, big part of the team. Um, my, the national championship game was sort of what I, still think of as like the culmination of my basketball career. Um, I probably had one of the best games of my life. I scored 19 points. I hit five three pointers in the first half, which at the time was a big deal these days in the women's <laughs> game, like threes are just bombing everywhere. It's, uh, still, but, a, it's still a big deal. It's still a big deal. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had a great game. I had a realized a lifetime goal of winning a national championship. Um, and then around the same time I had begun building a relationship with, uh, the first woman I ever met who was out as a lesbian and like, this is not a problem. And I just was like, so like, what, like, how are you okay with this? Um, cause I, I literally didn't have that exposure. I had no, no, um, not even like a, a glance at anyone else who was living a life like that on the little world that I was living in, which was so basketball and Christian focused. Um, so, you know, I, I was just so interested in this person and like, how did you come to like be okay with yourself and that process? And so, um, through building a relationship with her began that process myself, um, and decided that, uh, it was too painful for me to stop to start to like to continue to suffocate the this part of myself, my sexuality, and that it might be okay for me to be to be a queer person and to be in a relationship with a woman. Um, I began my I had my first relationship um, in the began in like right after the national championship, like literally like end of April of um, 2005. And uh, so here's a few like I'll hit some milestone moments for me. Um, I was called into coach Mulkey's office one day and this like never happens. So <laughs> when I played for coach Mulkey, you like, you see her on the floor, like she comes down for practice and then, um, you know, she does all this stuff in the video, but she's not around and she doesn't just like, she didn't just chit chat with us. So when I got called in, I was like, Whoa, like, this is really weird. Um, and she said, uh, she asked me where I was a couple of nights before, and I said, I don't really remember because honestly, I'm not like a huge party goer out person. Um, but then I was like, oh, you know, I went to this restaurant crickets. Um, and she was like, well, people have been seeing you with the same, the same woman and it just doesn't look very good. And I was like, 
how does she know? And it keeps in my head, I was still hiding everything, but I was obviously like spending time with one person who was, um, people were noticing. Uh, and, and at this point too, everyone in Waco, there was like nothing. <laughs> I hate to be um, disparaging of the community in Waco, but there wasn't much to be excited about there. Yeah, um, it still, and after, still isn't. Still, still really isn't. After, after we won the national championship, we were, you know, small town heroes. Um, and especially me, uh, there's other like layers to this. So um, I was one of the only white women on that team who contributed in a tangible way in games. And um, there's like marked ways that are different of how the attention I got from the media. I was white. I was Christian. I sort of did and said all of the right things. Um, so people loved having like my face on everything. Um, so I was very well known in the community. And, and so this was unnerving, right? Cause I felt like I was being watched. I also like, I wasn't comfortable to come out yet. Um, and I was trying to hide it. So it made me feel extra like, Oh my gosh, I really have to hide this. Um, I reached out to my stress management professor. This is like kind of sweet, but also like so tragic for me. I was taking a stress management class during the semester that we won the national championship. And so I thought, I'm stressed. Like, she should know about this. Let me go talk to her. Um, and so I started to talk with her and I was like, yeah, I, I, I never said I'm gay, but I just said like, um, I'm, I'm in this relationship. It feels really complicated. And um, I don't know where to go to for help. I feel really alone. And I, I feel like the stress is just destroying me. Um, and she was like, well, I'm not sure what you're saying, but if you're saying what I think you're saying, you should get out of my office. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> wow. this is not going to feel good. Um, wow. so you know, there's these like sort of, I think of them as like a paper bag, right. And there's a spray bottle and you just like spray it once. And it's like, okay, you can still use this bag, but you have to be a little bit careful with it. And you spray it again, you spray it again, you spray it again until the bag is nothing and you pick it up and boom, everything just falls apart. So I was having experiences like that. Well, and, and and back then Baylor had a stated policy against homosexual I forget what the exact wording was but they basically forbade homosexual relationships <clears throat> among the the student community and until and it was funny Emily and I started talking about this in 2015 when the 10th anniversary of this this championship came up and they were going to have a big celebration and you wanted to go and be a part of it and there were all these things surrounding you know in you know surrounding you returning to to the Baylor campus and and we started and I remember this one moment very clearly that you and I were standing outside doing a recording and you were talking and a car drove by and you stopped and said I I know I'm not saying anything wrong and this is all true but it still makes me really nervous to be here and I don't know if it had anything to do because I started putting some pressure on the athletic department to talk to me about this and they steadfastly refused. They were, this is the most stubborn athletic department I've ever dealt with trying to get an interview with, with coach yeah. Mulkey. And a, a, pretty soon after that, they dropped that language from their policy. And I don't know if it's led to any real changes on that campus, but at least, at least it's not part, it's not on the books anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I mean that that was that was always out there um that it was against Baylor policy to engage in homosexual behavior, that's what they called it. <laughs> like there's a lot of things that were against Baylor policy that happened all the time. So mm -hmm. um, but it definitely doesn't leave one feeling like, oh, let me 
try to um, build a healthy relationship with this part of my identity. Mm -hmm. um, Emily, do you feel that there were other um, players on your team that were also uh, lesbians? Um, so I don't just feel that. I mean, I know that. Um, the thing that I think is important for me to, as I try to like heal and I, I want to be again, vulnerable, like this still hurts. <laughs> um, when I watch these games and I watch coach Mulkey, it's still, it still doesn't feel right. Like I don't have my peace yet. And I've done a lot of personal work through all of this. Um, so yeah, there were other women in our program who were in relationships with women and they sort of played the game with more ease and grace than I was able to. So again, I, I talk about the reason that I mentioned the faith component and I, I didn't grow up in a really religious house. My parents are fantastic, lovely people, but they are not very religious. Um, and, uh, I, faith seemed like a way to be as, as morally and ethically aligned as one could possibly be, right? So that was really, really important to me. So um, even if I thought I could, I could physically do, like I could do something, but if it was against the rule and I was lying about it, then that was so hard for me. Like it just, I couldn't do it. Um, so there were other women on my team who had this belief about themselves. They're like, you know what? I am okay. Um, all of these parts of me are okay. And there may be other people who don't think they are, but I know I'm okay. So I'm going to keep doing my thing. And if they say things that make me feel uncomfortable or lesser, I'm just going to be like, ah, whatever. Um, for me, but that's, a, that's a mature way to be. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I, right. I was, you were, you were 18, 19 years old. And, and I, and yeah. I wanted to do the right thing. <laughs> and so I felt like I was in an environment that was telling me, no, like this is not the right thing. And I really ab absorbed that in a different way. I'll tell a quick story. Um, Chelsea Whitaker, she was a point guard of our national championship team. She now works for the Dallas PD. She's an incredible human. Um, but she got kicked out of practice at Baylor one time for some sort of you know, back and forth with coach Mulkey and coach Mulkey told her to leave and she sprinted off the floor. And after practice, after practice, I called her and like, Chelsea, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm at the mall. Do you want to come meet me and get a milkshake? And I'm like, what? And she's like, I'm fine. I'm taking the day off. I'm good. And so I'm just showing like different ways to handle that kind of stress, right? Like Chelsea was just like, boom, like onto the next thing. I'll show up tomorrow and I'll be fine. Someone like me, if I had gotten kicked out of practice, I probably would have like been in the parking lot crying, waiting for a chance to talk to coach Mulkey and be like, can we make things right? <laughs> like it's just different personalities. So I, I really took that. I took all of those sprays, right? To my paper bag to heart. It really soaked in and I didn't have a strong backbone in who I was and this is, you know, for another couple of bottles of wine on a different, like, <laughs> true Hollywood story or something. But there's reasons for that. Oh, so too. you're going to be on uh, Bravo? Is that the, is that the, is that the <laughs> yeah. network? That, That's my next yeah, stop. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joe, I, I totally understand your uh, disdain and, and dislike for Coach Mulkey now. Uh, you know, so... So Emily, I, we, I graduated high school in 2003 as well. Um, I'm from Connecticut. And so a lot of my childhood, we've talked about this on the show before is, is Gina Wariema and, and coach summit, right? It, I was, we always had the, the Yukon women on PBS in my household. And it was always, you know, the, the, the 
Oriema and, and Summit rivalry. Um, and I, I remember reading, like, uh, you know, listening to um, let's, uh, Rebecca Lobo, Carol Walters, um, um, Jen Rosati, right? And, and even some of the, even current UConn women athletes, but, and they were always saying, you know, Coach Oriema, he's, he's tough, he's hard, but afterwards you sort of appreciated that toughness and that sort of mental edge that he brought to practices. And it's unfortunate. I mean, it sounds like maybe coach coach Mulkey has sort of a different way to get that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be, I, I totally get, I, I just thought, Joe, you didn't like her because she was mean and yelled a lot or, you know, I, I didn't like Pat summit because I'm a UConn fan. Uh, I, I don't like coach Mulkey because I'm a UConn fan and, and they always, they are the, the Baylor uh, women's basketball team. They destroy UConn women's streaks. I believe, right. They were the first team to beat UConn at home in a hundred something games. So I don't like coach Mulkey either, but I mean, that that's, that's an amazing story that you shared. And uh, I don't know. I'm still kind of taking it. Wasn't, in. Um, wasn't Pat summit at a, I don't know, a then really nice person. Yeah, there's a hostility to Kim Mulkey, particularly towards directed towards her players that doesn't need to be there. And like you like you said with Oriyama, he's a he's a, apparently really intense on the on the practice court, but you see him when you see him interact with his players, he's very kind and you don't I, I think you don't last and have as long as he has and have the success he's had without your players genuinely liking you so uh, yeah i'm curious emily what is that do you have that sort of delayed respect for kim mulkey or or is the 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 bad washing out the good still um i think that the truest answer is that there are some people who really like that kind of environment of the her intensity and I think there's some people who thrive in it. Obviously, she's been able to build good teams. So um, there's a lot of things to say about the ways she's shown up um, in in on wider issues, right? And I, I think she sort of also depoliticizes everything. So like, yeah, it, yeah. She, you know, she feels like everything is separate. They're like, oh, you know, I'm making this decision purely for this reason, and it doesn't actually reflect or connect to anything else. Um, but I think that for me, it was just not a, not a good fit, which sounds a little bit cliche and sort of minimizing, but, um, my, like my heart and my, um, my personality needs to feel more connected to the people I'm around and the, the environment. And it wasn't just coach Mulkey, right. It's the entire environment that I was in at Baylor, um, didn't give me any space. And, you know, so let's say like, go back to my little story. Let's say my stress management professor says, oh my God, Emily, you're okay. I'm going to be like your person you can come talk to. Like you can get through this. It might've been a totally different story for me, like even just one person. So while there are ways that coach Mulkey's decisions made my experience harder, there's also hundreds of other people on that campus who just aren't famous and nobody is asking them for quotes, right? But they're like reflecting similar ideologies. Um, and those people could step up and 
and be helpful too. And they're not. So I guess that's, that's the one place where when people start to be like, Oh, coach Mulkey is so this or that. Um, I feel like, well, yeah, true. But there's also like hundreds of other people on this campus who are that too. And you just don't see it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my story becomes relevant, um, around March every couple of years, people are like, oh, talk to me about this. But for the rest of my life, really, frankly, nobody cares. Um, but there's so many other young people who probably had similar experiences to me. They just didn't do it on a big stage. And, you know, they went into whatever professor thinking they were going to find some comfort and somewhere to talk to about someone. And they were like, no, right. So there's so many other stories that will never be told. Um, and so it's not, it's not just about coach Mulkey and that's not trying to like protect her or save her or anything, but it's really to look at like the wider culture and systems and ideas that these moments reflect and then think, Whoa, like how many people are being impacted by these ideas? Hmm. That's yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And and now I I know we we probably don't have to talk too much. I don't want to, you know, talk about other individuals or, or, um, put, thoughts or, or words in your mouth, Emily, but did you now Brittany Griner, who's another, uh, famous athlete who went to Baylor. Um, I believe she was a few years, a handful of years after you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you yeah. still now she came out as lesbian a few years after Baylor, I believe while she was in the WNBA. Um, I think she's still, she's still in the WNBA, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, were you still uh, connected in any way with Baylor? Cause I, I'm just curious if, you know, if, or were you kind of just like, that was, you're moving on different chapter in your life. If Baylor would offer me any shred of connection to them, I would be so grateful despite everything that has happened because of how this feels for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, as Joe mentioned, I went to the 10 year reunion because I was invited. I had to be invited. <laughs> they could not invite me. I guess they could have not invited me, but they did. Um, and it was that, like, that would have been a little glaringly obvious, even for yeah. Baylor, had they not yeah, invited yeah. you at that point. Yeah. Um, so I show, I, I decided to go and it was like, for me again, it was me and my personal work. I, like, I wasn't there to spite anybody there, but I was like, I have to sort of face this and like feel, let my confident self be here and be okay and show myself that I can do this. Um, so Matt, tell me your question again, because I was getting back to it and I honestly just lost my train of thought because I want to direct what yeah. was your question? It wasn't really so I was just curious if if you know if you know of any other athletes at Baylor oh. who have similar situations or, or yeah. I also was kind of like I remember listening to uh, you know, I, I go back to, to UConn women all the time, but like Gino Oriema saying one of the hardest things that he's as he gets older, it's harder to connect to the younger athletes, but that that's what he sees as one of his biggest challenges as a coach is to connect. And, and I know off air before we started the show, you know, that's social emotional learning, right. Is making that connection with your, your students, with your athletes. And, you know, I, I'm just curious if Baylor and, and the coaching staff and, and other women feel connection um, yeah. or if they, you know, I just, I didn't know if, if you still had connection with the team, if you got a sense, right. you know, I just famously Brittany Griner being out. I wonder if she felt a connection yeah. with the coaching staff, you know? Thank you. No, that's, that's where I was going. As I was saying, I went to this 10 year reunion. So my 10 year reunion was in 2015. 
Um, it was just a few years after um, Brittany finished playing at Baylor at, in 2013. Um, and then she went into the draft and then it was literally like weeks, weeks after when she came out on social media after she graduated. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was for me really validating, right? Because I was nowhere near as talented as Brittany Griner. Um, and it was, you know, 10 years ago, right. When she would basically, when she kind of came out and had her experience. So I thought, oh my gosh, like this woman who was at the top of the game, the best of the best. So, um, revered, um, not only on Baylor campus, but throughout the country in women's basketball. Mm -hmm. And even she didn't want to disclose this until she was totally done with Baylor. Mm -hmm. Because when I left, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, like, you could have just kept, you know, doing your thing and like been quiet about it and didn't need to make such a big deal and blah, blah, blah. And so I sort of felt like people were invalidating my experience, like, oh, it wasn't that hard. But then when Brittany Griner, who was so successful, um, you know, presented so confident, was not able to be out while she was there, it was validating for me. Um, when I went to that 2005, um, what was it called? The reunion. Union. Yes, the yeah. reunion. When I went to the 2005 reunion, um, I saw Coach Mulkey for like a total of five seconds at one meal. And I, I walked right up to her because I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, you know, listen, of all the things that have happened after I left, I never thanked you for the things that you did for me and the opportunities you gave me. And I know that I know that things have been rough <laughs> between us. And I know that there's been a lot of hard stuff, but I want to say thank you. Um, she laughed and then she walked away. Wow. She laughed. Wow. She laughed in a nice way in a nice way. Um, no, it was like, <laughs> like oh my gosh, like what a crazy comment. Oh, like, wow. and she walked away. And then oh. I'll tell you one other story about that reunion. Ouch. Um, ouch. Ouch. Yeah, right. So again, oh. like I when I say I've done a lot of personal work on this, it's all my work. Like right. Baylor hasn't done anything mm. to um help me through it. You know, Coach Mulkey in her book. She actually mentions me. She says, of all the players I've coached, I worry more about Emily than anyone else. Um, and I think if I had an opportunity to respond to that comment to her, which I don't think I ever will, but I would say, if you worry about me, like maybe you could show care towards me a little bit. Um, and I haven't gotten any of that. When I was at, when I was at that reunion, they asked one of the um, one of the sports medicine people was like, oh. Emily should come shoot with Christy Wallace because I bet you she could give her a few tips. And they were they, these, you know, people who don't have any real power in the program. They're like, would you come shoot with her? And I'm like, of course, absolutely. Like anytime you let me know, I would definitely do that. And then I saw them run over to some of the other coaching staff and they were like shaking their heads. No. And I never heard anything else about it. So when you ask me if I'm connected to the program, I'll tell you that I have to buy my own tickets when I go to watch Baylor play UConn every other year with their trade. And, um, that I have no connection. Uh, I honestly would really be grateful for some kind of connection, uh, but that just might not be in the cards. Wow. Boy, you know, it's interesting. Cause, um, you know, we, uh, we well might get into, these um, transgender issues that are coming up, um, you know, these it's it's sort of, uh, you know, reacting to problems that don't really exist. Election fraud honestly does not really exist. But all these laws are being passed. And, uh, you know, I think it's really good that people I like where sports are right now, where people stand up. I love that the um, all-star game got pulled out of Georgia. 
I, you know, I love that kind of, and I do think that, you know, when we look at it historically, clearly we have LeBron James as an, as a, as a leader in the, you know, speaking up. But I do think it was the, the women in WNBA that really, really led to, um, to athletes getting a voice and having the guts to express that voice. Yeah, absolutely. Every, I mean, I, I follow Dave Zoran very closely and really enjoy. He is good, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. love hearing those stories of those moments of athletes using their position, not only using their position, but like having the, um, the comportment to be like, oh, this matters, right? That's really cool. Well, and you know, we it's sort of revealing some differences. And we talked a little bit about this last week about how, if you are, you know, if you're a, a, a standout men's college basketball player, you play for a year and then you leave and cash in on your giant NBA deal. If you're Paige Beckers or Ari McDonald, you don't have that opportunity. And I think if 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 they do pass the NIL legislation that allows athletes, college athletes to make money off of their, you know, to do endorsements, to do, to make money off of their own name and image. I think that can level the field quite a bit because in some ways, I mean, there are going to be college, women's college basketball players who can make more in college than they will in the NBA. Yeah. You know, where Sue Bird makes $230,000 a year and, you know, LeBron James famously makes $230 every time he puts his shoes on. Or two hundred thirty thousand, rather. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think there's there are things that can bring us to equality, or at least bring things a little closer. But we're we're still many declarations and many um, the flushing of these these sort of toxic mentalities. And I think part of what part of what makes Baylor and Kim Mulkey stand out is the Christianity of it. And there's there's a very Christian thing to say that either gay people aren't a thing that they, we don't have them here or, or to actively try and suppress anything, you know, that would lead anyone in that direction. So I'm, I don't know what five years from now looks like, but I am, I imagine it will be better. I don't know how long the Kim Mulkey's can last in coaching now that, now that the welfare of student athletes is um, sort of a little more at the forefront. Well, but if you're, if you're successful, you're going to last, right? Unless you're really, unless you're really um, getting an uprising from your players, which is pretty unlikely if you're successful. Well, and as Emily said, there's a player, there are players for every coach. There are players who are going to be a good style for every coach. And maybe it's just that, the Kim Mulkey type players keep finding their way to her teams. But I, I, I hope, I really hope because this has been something I've been on for years. I hope these, the unkindness of this coaching style goes away quickly. I mean, I, I, I played division three college football and my freshman year, the coach got fired. He was the, one of the most gentle men one of the best teachers i was ever around and they replaced him with a with a raging a-hole and i that was the end of my college football career after that year i just couldn't couldn't handle a guy who was gonna come into the huddle and grab my face mask and shake it around while he was yelling at me it's just 
it's just unnecessary, especially when you're dealing with 19 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like the point too, of like, so we, we hear more talk about student athlete wellness. We hear more talk about mental health. Um, but if we look at really who's being held accountable to these things, most often it's not your most high profile coaches. And I think that the, your success gives you a pass on a lot of these things. Um, I actually have a little bit of a connection to, so John Margaritas, he was the coach at UC Riverside who was dismissed um, a couple of years ago. And it was because players like from years and years and years were petitioning about um, forms of, of, of abuse that they experienced with him. And finally, the, they got enough traction that um, he ended up being let go. But, um, you know, Riverside, sure, like, you know, strong, like the women who play there are well-accomplished athletes, but not a program that you hear about being in the top 25. Um, and uh, actually, my partner uh, played at Arizona and then played at UC Riverside. So we followed this saga very closely. Um, but it was interesting, the things that he was being called to accountability for um and then you could probably find a dozen other people but he's like one person who so you know i think you see those things and it's like oh maybe things are gonna get better but if you're winning i think everybody will turn the other way um when when i left baylor for example my last uh my last conversation with coach mulkey and ian mccarr athletic director at the time and um my uh my parents were there. We talked about some of the things. This is like totally non-queer related stuff of just like, for me, I was like the, the, the yelling, the negativity is, is wearing on me. Like I'm not, I'm not okay. Um, and, and the athletic director McCall, he said, you know, we're aware of what coach Mulkey does to get the results she gets. And we're a hundred percent supportive of her. Um, you know, so like we, it, I think we're a long, unfortunately, we're a long way off from this whole animal changing. But then, you know, you see people like, um, you know, Coach Barnes at Arizona building a totally different culture. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. So at least maybe there's more choices for women who are coming through now to be like, do I want that kind of experience or or this? And and also, you know, from what I have heard and read, Coach Mulkey's evolved a lot. Her Her family went through a lot when her daughter... Um, gave birth to had a really complicated birth. And, and from, I've heard from more than one source that she's softened over the years. Um, but it's really, again, not just about her, like it's about these, the, the culture of this game and the sport and the things that have been able to become normalized and okay, especially if you're winning, it's okay. Maybe in 200 more years, she'll have grown enough to call you and offer some sort of, and so do, do you think, and uh, you know, I, I know, I know my opinion on this from talking to younger athletes, but so do you think not particularly at Baylor, but in general, are things easier on LGBTQ athletes, young athletes now than they were, you know, in 2003, 2005? Well, I certainly hope so. That's my sense. Um, I've done a couple of projects since leaving Baylor, doing some equity and inclusion work with the NCAA College of Inclusion. Um, they ran a program called Common Ground, which the entire premises was to bring people from LGBTQ backgrounds and faith backgrounds together to try to build stronger relationships and get away, um, get some of those barriers down between those two communities. Um, at some of those conferences, I got to meet younger student athletes who were, you know, currently 
playing and um you know some of them would be like why is everybody talking about this it's not a big deal and on one hand i would hear that and be like i'm so happy for you right. um, but also like have well, some guess, guess what it used to be a really big deal <laughs> yeah right and it, it still is for some people is, right yeah 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 i mean it, it's it's unfortunate winning in sports is is the the cure-all right and, and i don't mean cure like it actually solves anything but that's you know if you're winning that that is the you're able to hide a lot behind w's um and it's unfortunate to hear stories like yours emily and and, and many others where it, it that that's not what collegiate sports should be about and i think you know that's one of one of the reasons why the NCAA just, it drives me nuts. I know that's Daryl's favorite organization. <laughs> um, but, I know, don't know. I, I, I go between them and FIFA. Yeah, yeah. I know. It, it just, it, it's, it's, it shouldn't be at college. I mean, and I love to hear the stories of coaches of all different sports, like being those sort of the mentors for, their student athletes who need to have, you know, that support and that structure in, in their practice. And, and, you know, I'm okay for coaches being tough on their athletes, but there it's a shame that the winning trumps. It, it's not about being tough. It's about like, if you're not allowing your athletes to be who they are or feel comfortable with who they are, that's a problem because there's so much growth that happens to an individual in college. And, oh, yeah. You know, you're nothing you like when you leave college, you're nothing like you were when you came in. You, Those, you, the changes that, between that 18 and 25 are, you know, are immense. I, I yeah. see that as opportunities as a coach. It should be nothing more than encouraging. Look, while you're on my team, I need to encourage you to be you. And, and that is how you get the most out of your athletes and, and the, to, the, for them to reach their potential and their ceiling. And, you know, and so uh, I, I had another question, but then I just got sidetracked and lost. Uh, well, I've, got, I've got one for Emily, but go ahead, Emily. Go ahead. I was just going to say to follow up what you're saying, Matt. Um, I, so I, I coach now. Um, I've been oh, coaching. that was going to be my question. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. yeah and, so and I, are you a yeller? Do you yell at <laughs> You're like, Come on, be honest. So I've worked at the high school level um, as a high school coach and then worked with several, you know, summer AAU kind of programs um, and then at Bay Path now, but Bay Path allows me to go coach um, and off-season high school players. And I get so often the feedback I get from our players is I, I need you to just yell at me. And I say to them, <laughs> I'm not going to. And here's my reason why. And I get like on this whole soapbox about it is um for one, my first thing is it's stressful for me to yell. I'm not willing to have that experience personally. Okay. So we start there. I'm not going to do it. Um, two, if you need to be ridiculed, emotionally abused in order to perform at your highest level, there's some other stuff going on for you. And I don't want to contribute to that. And, you know, I start saying these things to like 14, 15 year olds and they're like, ugh, but it feels <laughs> very true, right? Like I'm, I'm not playing this game. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you accountable to details. Um, we're gonna come up with a team culture. 
we are going to have norms of how we communicate with one another. And I'm going to feel good about you taking those norms into your personal relationships, into your professional life, and know that that's what I'm teaching you. If I'm yelling at you, I'm failing to do that. So I don't yell. Um, I don't yell for me and I don't yell for them. Uh, there are moments occasionally where I will start writing officials and I'll sit down on the bench and just be like, Emily, this, you're embarrassing yourself. Like, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) That's like as heated as I get is I will write officials. Um, but I, I try to, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, but I really try, I really try to mirror relationship skills, like show relationship skills the whole time. Cause that's what we're doing. We're teaching young people how to relate and how to communicate with one another. And then you also get this really intimate view into how they relate and communicate with themselves internally. Um, so that's where my focus is. And I am not a fan of, um, using yelling as a form of, or like a vehicle. Um, Emily, are there a couple coaches you could name that you admire the way they go about their business? Um, well, everything that I've seen from Adia Barnes, I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love her. Um, yeah. The way one thing I noticed, if you watched the post game interview last night um, with her and Ari, when Ari was talking, Adia was now they have them sort of standing one in front of one another, right? But but Adia is looking at her. She's nodding with everything Ari is saying, right? She's really listening to what this young woman is saying. She's she's putting everybody's attention on her. Um, watch other coaches in these moments. And that's not always what you see. Um, so I really enjoyed, enjoyed that part. Um, you also like for her being a former player, um, you and Don Staley, I would put her in that category too, of just the, the ways that they interact with their players. Um, after the game, when they lost Don Staley ran to cooks and she ran to Boston and gave him a hug, like, come here. I got you. I know this hurts and I'm here. Um, so those moments, those are the stuff I feel. Boy, that was that was crying material, wasn't it? Oh yeah. my god. And, and let's we, we yeah. really we'd be remiss to neglect the basketball because those two games last night were that the that first game, the the Stanford South Carolina game was one of the best basketball games. I could rewatch the last five minutes of that game over and over for the next year and be happy. That that was that was just the as as good as basketball gets is what we had last night. And I I'm glad it's tournament has been great. Uh, I'll be, and I'll, I'll be honest. I, I actually haven't even watched too much um, of either tournament. I've, I've watched more of the women's tournament than the men's, believe it or not this year. Uh, but from the round of 64, all the way down, these games have been really good. And, and we, we talked about this last week briefly when UConn was at their best, it wasn't up to UConn to, to bring their level down. It was up to everybody else to bring their level up. And I, I've got to say, it, it looks like the women's basketball has done that. And I think, you know, if as long as they can continue to be highlighted on TV and, and their games be in prime time, you know, I, I think that's how the women's game steps up. I, I don't love ESPN kind of notoriously, but I will say they have done a fantastic job in highlighting the women's tournament this year. If you watch SportsCenter, it's they're getting just as much uh, airtime as the men's men's side, and that's we've talked for for months about how to elevate the women's game, and this it, it does seem like this year has been a small step in that direction. Emily, do you see that or no? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you, you see, 
And also like who's there, who's having the conversations, right? There's more and more women. There was a piece last night um, where Carolyn Peck had interviewed um, Don Staley and did some piece about their relationship to and admiration of Vivian Stringer. Mm -hmm. Um, so like moments like that years ago would have never gotten airtime. So that's, that's really cool. Um, side by side with that, you also have the imagery of like the difference in facilities that were available to the men and the women early in the tournament. So (laughs) there's like, it's like one step forward, two steps back. Okay. Like, but wait a minute, Emily, you got from the three yoga mats, you got 10 yoga mats. What are you, what are you complaining about? Yeah. Oh, um, that's another- and that was only because they got embarrassed. Right. But um, yeah. so, Emily, do you um, are you, do you feel that you know? Let's just say it was ten years ago or so, and do you feel that you could hit three pointers as soon as you cross midcourt, <laughs> <laughs> which appears to be what people feel these days? Yeah. So the thing that so my partner and I watched games together. Like I said, she played at Arizona Riverside. We were excited because it was a possibility of, you know, Baylor, Arizona. Um, But uh, the green light that these women play with was not in existence when we were in the game. Um, Oh, you would have got yanked out if you took a crazy Oh yeah. And I mean, so I was a really good shooter, right? So for me, I had a pretty deep three. I was maybe like at most six to eight feet off the line. Um, some of the stuff that like, like super beyond that, no, I wouldn't have taken that shot, but I, I, you know, hit a handful of really deep threes over my career. Um, but yeah, like most people feel comfortable. Uh, there's like maybe a few post players, but most people, if they're open, they're going to shoot a three pointer. And that was not the mentality. Definitely not that if you watch coach Mulkey's teams play still, um, people are very tightly within their lines. Uh, but, but a lot of these teams, they're just the numbers of threes that they shoot in a game blow my mind. So we had an argument last week about the four point shot. Do you think there should be a four point shot? Oh, geez. Say no. Good, good, good. Say well, no. Hold right. on. We were talking, we were talking, we we're talking in the context of the NBA where the, the game has become so clogged inside that I feel like it'll do the same thing. The three point shot did, which is open up the court. And now that we've got, like you said, Matt, you've got these players. Maybe it was Daryl. I forget. My memory's really bad, yeah. but I'll blame the shot that I got yesterday. The, uh, you've got all these NBA players that'll shoot, you know, from a step or two inside inside the three point inside the half court line. I you know I think it's inevitable, and it, it'll come in the NBA first, and then we'll see it further down the line, you know, over the succeeding years. But it reminds I, I, me of the. Um, I don't know if you guys remembered the. Uh there was these Taco Bell commercials with Shaq and Hakeem Olajuwon where they were playing futuristic <laughs> basketball and they would have things like different points. The goals would go up and down. The rims would expand in and out. Um, but Hey, why not? Why not? Now, listen, we only have uh, two minutes left and it's God, this, this hour has flown by. Um, so, but I just want to give you a chance, Emily, if there's something that you wanted to say, um, here's your chance. Well, I'll say it to the three of you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to um, to talk with you guys. And um, like I've, I've shared, you know, this this whole basketball thing has um, left a lot of a lot of things unsettled in my mind. But the more opportunities I get to connect with people um, and, and talk, talk through it and um, even like hear other people's stories, but in more personal ways like this feels like um, 
feels healing to me. So I'm appreciative of that opportunity. Um, I'm thankful that you all are doing what you're doing and um, looking to push conversations about sports outside of the lines that most people are typically thinking in. Emily, I have always appreciated your willingness to speak frankly and openly and be so vulnerable about about this, because this is I mean, this is stuff that goes to the very core of who you are at a really vulnerable time in your life when you should have been enjoying this this massive success. And and I so I again, over the years, I really appreciate you having these conversations with me. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. Um, you know, it was great. I actually, when when we sign off, I actually have a question for you. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you. Right. Off air, and but, well, um, we had a, we did have one um, woman basketball player who had trouble when she transferred. Yes. The school yeah. did not cooperate. So I meant to ask you about that too. But but that's it. Uh, we're down to our last uh, few seconds. And so, listen. Thanks very much, Emily, for being our guest today. And thanks a lot for listening to Sports Plus with Baker, Big D, and Joe. And we'll see you next week. Happy Easter, everybody. Get your shots, people.